Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury. Hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both of our partners are quadriplegics. And after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends with Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspectives. Us each week as we tackle deep discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Wags of SCI podcast. Here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast with your hosts, Alina Polly and Brooke Paget. Very excited for everybody to join us today because we are wrapping up our series about mental wellness. So anyone who tuned in during January probably listened to one of our episodes on mental wellness. And during those episodes where we kind of assess the current situation in WAGS and our own personal lives and just, you know, how everybody is going through some sort of a mental wellness, I would not say crisis, but some sort of rebirth right now in their own way. And so we discussed all of that in our January episodes. And in those episodes, we talked a lot about Elena's journey off of her SSRIs, which are antidepressants, for those of you who don't know. And so as promised, this episode is going to be me interviewing Elena and asking her all sorts of questions about her journey off of pills. Because here's the thing. SSRIs are one of the most widely prescribed antidepressants and pills in general in North America and the world. And over the pandemic, there were 70 million new prescriptions of SSRIs filled um, in the worldwide. So it's a huge number. It's something that everybody knows about. You know, the typical prescription when you go to your doctor and you say you have anxiety and depression is to get on SSRIs. And so Elena was on them and she actually decided during the pandemic and during one of the hardest periods of her life that she was going to get off of them. So I always kind of joke and say at a time when everybody else is going on them, Elena is deciding to go off of them. Um, She's following her soul's journey. She's following her insights and she's listening to herself. And it's really really admirable. And so we wanted to talk about this in detail with all our followers because not many people find it easy to get off these pills. Not many people get off of them. They're highly addictive. So we're going to discuss all about that today. But first, before we get started, huge shout out to our episode sponsors. As always, Robin Wishart of Wishart Brain and Spine Law. She is the official Wags of SCI advocate. She is on our team to help Wags and couples with anything from paperwork to insurance emails to writing letters about accessibility to just being there as someone who understands this lifestyle and uh, what the WAGs of SCI stand for. Her website is brainandspinelaw.com and you can also visit wagsofsci.com and click on the legal resources tab to learn more about how Robin and her team at Wishart Brain and Spine Law help the WAGs of SCI community. 
Our second sponsor is Annalisa and John of Rolling in Paradise. They are an adapted equipment company that specialize in sporting equipment and anything really from accessories to hand cycles. They have it all and they know what it's like to be in this life because like they say, they are you. Annalisa is a quad wife and her partner, John, is a quadriplegic. And they work with the VA, they're VA approved, and they ship all over North America. So if you want to speak to someone about your equipment needs that actually understands what you need, please visit rollinginparadise.com and tell them that the Wags of SCI sent you. So welcome, Elena, to the podcast. Hello. <laughs> oh, why thank you for having me on today. <laughs> We're going to be doing this a little bit differently today. I'm going to be asking Elena a bunch of questions and she's going to be giving us some unfiltered insights into her journey, Um, basically why she started taking SSRIs in the first place and her journey there. Because, you know, I think it's really important that we talk about this kind of stuff because no one likes to talk about the reality of this. No one likes to share their experiences, especially in this community, because like we always say, Um, The reason we started WEGS is because the focus has to be on the caregiver as well as the injured partner. And mental health and mental wellness is a huge thing that is still very taboo in the WEGS of SCI community. You know, we all like to appear like we're strong and we can handle everything and our needs usually get put to the side. And it's all about our journey back from that and finding boundaries and finding our purpose again after a traumatic accident or after being burnt out or after caregiving for, you know, sometimes 20 plus years and not having a break. And so our mental health struggles um, and it suffers. And um, these are things that we all need to talk about and we're very vocal about. And so firstly, Elena, thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast and discuss such a not just taboo, but very, very vulnerable, incredibly personal subject with this community. Thank you. You're welcome. It is time to spill the beans, <laughs> like I like to say. <laughs> so, yes, of course, before we get started, why is this important for you to talk about? Um, I think, you know what? I was thinking about this yesterday. Yesterday was Sunday and I was home by myself and I had um, a government of Canada survey phone call come in and they asked me if I would take some time to answer the survey. Um, I guess in a, in understanding more of, of the perspective that fellow Canadians have around some of the social issues that are at hand. And what I noticed reoccurring quite a few times were, how many questions were asked around mental health and whether I, I was I was aware about the mental health cri- crisis that's happening here in Canada and um, if I was aware around, um, you know, the op- opioid crisis and uh, what was leading to that and how did I feel about certain other issues like making... Um, illegal substances legal or legalized again. So you can have like two grams of whatever substance of narcotics on you. And so it kind of tied in together from like mental health to like substance abuse to um, they asked me what other, what other social issues I thought were the most important and needed more awareness. And of course I said, well, for caregivers, for spousal caregivers to be paid. So that kind of tied it all together, but it left me thinking quite a bit about, um, basically how I've never really had one of these phone calls before. And I was wondering, kind of like left thinking like, why now? Why, why, 
do I always just ignore them or, or is the government actually interested in a letting us know that they're sort of rallying around trying to collect data around this? Or is this an actual crisis now after a pandemic, after everybody was really hit hard, you know, for the first time in a long time, probably ever in my existence, I feel like every single person that we know was really deeply affected by a pandemic and all the varying factors that came along with that. So I thought that was pretty cool to sort of, it left me thinking. Um, but I think now more than ever is a really great time for people to come forward and sort of look at their neighbors and say, I get it. Me too. You know, you're not by yourself. You're not going this um, by yourself. And especially after the the onset of SCI, there is a lot of stuff as a caregiver that you go through from like burnout to isolation to really feeling like you are just there to be pick up the pieces that you're not, you kind of lose your sense of identity and you sort of be you kind of, at least for myself, I felt like there were times where I felt like I was just the caregiver and I can see why a lot of people do go on SSRIs or antidepressants or anti-anxieties or muscle relaxers or whatever it is, because there, there isn't a whole heap of support that the government provides caregivers. And you are left sort of self-medicating on your own terms, for which doctors will gladly hand out a prescription for. It's very easily attainable. So I think it's a really great topic for us to sort of take a step back from and really look at why is this happening and so quickly. Yeah, I mean, and if anybody can talk about it, it's someone like you who has been there, done that, and who has come out the other side from a <clears throat> over, excuse me, over a, you know, I, I believe you were on them for 15 years. Um, I mean, that is a long yeah, time. Yeah, it was a long time. Yeah. So, so you've come out of that as an observer who is like, okay, now I'm, I'm really starting to truly heal. And it, it's interesting because the person that you are now versus the person that you are when you went on them is a totally different person. And like, I feel like you're just like a fresh, fresh new eyes in the world. Right. And so why don't you tell, um, the, the people listening, the kind of your story as to why you decided to go on them in the first place? Yes, gladly. <clears throat> so when I went on SSRIs, there had been quite a few periods in my life after I was adopted. For anybody who doesn't know, I was adopted from an orphanage in Siberia when I was eight. And um, after I came to Canada, I started to realize the tremendous culture shock and differences between cultures and um, what was left behind, I, I suppose, you know, the major, major changes from new language, new food, uh, different people, new social standards, socioeconomic status was different for me, obviously, going into a, a home that was able to provide a lot of my basic needs for me. And from that, and having all the resources that we all of a sudden had, I sort of, you know, they always say comparison is a thief of joy. And I suppose that's sort of what happened, was that I really began to compare my life beforehand to my life now. And so sort of took a step back and, and looked at what it meant to be adopted. And on one hand, I was so, so happy and so, so blessed. And on the other hand, I had lost so, so much. So through my teen years, I had a really, really hard time with adjusting. Um, I had 
I kind of went inside of myself, retreated a bit. I, I went through a lot of depression, a lot of anxiety. And for years and years, um, my psychiatrist and my family doctor kept on saying, you know, Alina, why don't you go on these SSRIs? If there is, you know, you're doing the therapy, you're doing the, all the new age therapies, let's say like EMDR. I was, I was participating in anything that I possibly could. That was just, that was outside of Freudian talk therapy, anything that anybody could throw my way. I was like, I'll try this. I'll do this. So my doctors at the time had said, you know, lady, you should really try this. And I was about 16 and I kept on pushing it off and I kept on saying, no, no, I don't think I need this. I, I don't want to be medicated for whatever reason. At that time, I didn't have a, a heap of awareness around big pharma or how, how deeply in trouble you can get with SSRIs. Um, I just knew, I just thought it wasn't for me. And then as time went on and I could process more, my mother got had Parkinson's. So she got sicker and sicker which threw a whole new wrench into sort of my mental health itself, trying to sort of support her as much as I could um, emotionally through that. It was really, really difficult. So finally I said, you know what? My life is kind of coming to a point where I really need to launch. I need to, I didn't graduate from high school. My mom was so sick. I just wasn't able to do that. And so I came to a point in my life saying, if there was something that could get me to go back to school, go to university, like I felt like I had like a mental block, like I was not able to launch. I wasn't able to carry on with my life. I felt really, really stuck in my emotions, unable to get out of bed some days. So at around 20, I think I was 20, I decided, you know what, if there's something that's that's out there that's so promising, I'll do it. So I went on SSRIs. And like any new patient, you start with a low dosage and you progress with the guidance of your physician. So I kept on going up and up and up, up to about a, a hundred milligrams. And I stayed on that for years. And yes, I did go to university. Yes, it did allow me to leave my town and move to a new city and do things for myself. There were things about taking SSRIs that I sort of held on to like a crutch. Like I felt like this is this is the one common denominator it allowed me to move on with my life that I, why would I ever get off of them? This is great. Like I can do things that I wasn't able to do. I can get myself out of the spiral of anxiety. I can do things. <clears throat> and so anyway, so that's kind of how my relationship with SSRIs began. I, I believe that it was every, everything that I believed it was, it was. And I think that sometimes that that's what happens when we, when we put a lot of dependence on whatever, the outsourced substance or material thing is, or whatever it is, whatever we believe this thing to be, to hold so much power, it can, and it will. Right. So yeah, that's how it all began. My relationship with SSRIs of many, many years. So did you, when you were on them, you mentioned that like you were able to get out of bed and you were able to function better. And so like, and I remember you and I, when we've talked about this in private, you've always said like, I believe in them if you need them to get you out of certain situations, like as more of a, an emergency thing. Um, did you, what, what did you feel like as far as like feeling, like, did you feel, um, more numb kind of indifferent so that you could make a choice or did you feel kind of inspired when you were on them? That's a funny question. 
no, I was not extra inspired, but <laughs> I just felt like, like I said, it was like a tool that I use, like a tool in one of my toolkits that it, and it became so habitual that every single morning it was like a ritual, right? Every single morning I would yeah. wake up and I would take this pill. And even if I missed a couple doses, this is where things got scary. It was that even when I missed a couple doses or every time I had to refill the prescription, I would have to go back in to see my doctor every three months because you're not supposed to stay on these SSRIs that I was on long-term. You're not supposed to drink alcohol on them either. And I think a lot of people don't know that. Or maybe they do, they just don't care. And so every few months, I would have to go back into the walk-in clinic or go see my family physician and basically let them know that, no, I did not have suicidal thoughts, that I was doing great on them. And that, yes, I would take another prescription for another three to six months, sometimes a year. Sometimes the doctor would say, you know, let's make it easy. I'll sign it off for a year. And what was actually causing my anxiety was at the end of each bottle, the very last pill, I would start to feel anxious that I didn't have them. Like I put so, so much into having this pill, this little pill control my life. And that's when I started to, you know, when I went to university and I started taking courses of critical thinking and theory and mostly sociology courses where I started to examine what our society is actually made up of. And that at any time, God forbid, if the medical system decided they didn't want to help me anymore, they wouldn't have to. So because these, this medication and a lot of, a lot of medications in general, you become so dependent on them that for me not to have it and miss a dose at the high milligram that I was taking, that would be a bad situation for me because I'll get the physical symptoms, the physiological symptoms of missing a dose, which would end up having me worse off than I ever had been taking them. So what would happen is sometimes I would forget to take a dose and I would start to get vertigo. And I wouldn't be able to see anything. I could be walking. I could be driving anything. And I would start to get spins and brain zaps. <clears throat> that was a lot of fun. And so then I started to think about it, thinking, you know, what if I at one point in my life, I wouldn't have access to this medication? What would I do? How long would this last? How long would the side effects last? I can't, you can't just stop cold turkey. And I think that's something that's very important for everybody to know is that you should never stop a medication cold turkey um, without the guidance of your physician because you can get in a lot of trouble. So that's when I started to really question things. And I, you know, me and my, my own sort of personality and, and thinking, I always said, I don't want to be controlled by the government. I don't want it to be this way. I don't want it. I don't want it to be at a point where I'm begging to have this medication and they're for whatever reason, they're saying, sorry, but we can't give it to you. So, um, did you start like, you know, we talk about the pandemic all the time and how it shifted a lot of people's mental health and a lot of people's perspectives on the world. Did you feel like that desire to kind of be independent from a system of control or a system of managing you and your health? Did you feel like that got stronger throughout the pandemic or did you start feeling like more fear around that? Like what was your perspective shift there? Um, my, I think the big shift was when my mom got really, really sick and seeing the cocktail of medication that she was so desperately dependent on. <clears throat> and every time she would call me during the pandemic, 
when we were all sort of in, in lockdown and my mom was locked up in long-term care facilities, I would see that even though she was at the hands of the, of the healthcare system and long-term care, where she was supposed to be provided with all this care, she was still calling me to make sure that I could go and get her medications. And she would go into this crazy spiral of worrying and worrying because she was on so much. She wasn't even, her brain wasn't even functioning like herself anymore. Her personality had drastically shifted. She'd had multiple brain operations for the Parkinson's that she had. Um, she had electrodes implanted in her brain to control the Parkinson's symptoms, which did a number on other things, drastically changed her. She didn't have a quality of life. And then I started to sort of analyze that and look at that. And, and I thought to myself, I'm only on this one medication, but my God, I don't want this. I don't want this to be me. And during the pandemic, I mean, you know, the government made it very clear that there were, there was huge division within our society. And I, after I felt like we were sort of locked up, that I didn't want anything to do with it anymore. I didn't want to be part of it anymore. And I thought, you know what, if this is the worst of it, and we're, we're, you know, obeying the law and the rules and regulations of the government, that if we can do this, we can get through this, we can get through anything. And of course, after the passing of my mom, that's when I decided I didn't want to be part of the system anymore, at least not for myself. That's really interesting. Yeah. Like we, like I said earlier, it's like, it's like you were doing the opposite of what everybody else was thinking. Everybody else was like, oh, I need to go to my doctor and see if I can get some pills to help me with all my feelings. And you were kind of like, nope. Um, I, I Let's step back a, a few, um, a little bit and- I just wanted to ask you about when Dan had his spinal cord injury and when you were on those pills, did you feel like they helped you to process the injury better? Did you feel like it helped you to process the emotions better and the stress better? Or did you feel like it didn't really make a difference? You know, I, I think that's hard to say. That's a hard question to answer because we never know what it would have been like when we're outside of things, right? It's hard to say like, I don't know, because I had always been on them until very recently that I think at that time, I believed that it was still sort of my crutch to get through everything to be able to. And I mean, you know, our body does and our brain do a fantastic job at blocking a lot of things out to protect us. So when there is a stressful situation, let's say like your partner's spinal cord injury, a lot of women will report and a lot of women do report on our private group that they just sort of go pedal to the metal, forget their own feelings, emotions, their own needs, and they just do what needs to get done. And we've heard this conversation and these statements come up many, many times that you sort of, you go into fight or flight. So do I know whether the pills helped with that? I don't know, because I don't know if that was like also our, our body's natural response to sort of forget our own needs and just go crazy into like, okay, we have to sort so much out. And everybody knows that after you leave the rehab with a spinal cord injury, you're basically left in shambles to figure everything out from picking up your medications to creating a new routine to resetting up your whole life for your partner to make it more accessible for them and easier for you. So I think during that, the first couple of years, you're in fire or flight regardless, but I don't know if the, the SSRIs would have done a difference. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I because I, it's just it's so hard. It's we like you said, the comparing thing, we always like to compare our experiences and be like, Oh, what if what if? 
So it's like, it's kind of hard not to think, oh, I wonder what you would have been like, but you're right. There's well, no, there's no real and a lot of women, we talk about this quite often. Like we had a, we had a question that like this come up last year. I don't know if you remember, but um, ladies were asking on the private group whether or not they thought it was a good idea from other women to go on antidepressants or anti-anxieties or volume or whatever, whatever the substance was. Um, and a lot of women chimed in. And I was actually quite surprised to see that, to say, yeah, you know what? I'm on it too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. The the feed was full, beyond full. Like it was so much scrolling that it was actually shocking to see how many, not even that they would, because I completely understand that, that you would, but how easily accessible these drugs are to people who are going through a stressful time. And I mean, what is stress? What is the stress response in your body? It's to let you know that something is not right. And that's how we have it, right? So when you're masking it, you're unable to process, at least for myself, unable to process, is this a situation that is not right right now? You're not able to do that. And then when you get off of the pills, it's like a flood of everything. Everything I've missed for the last 15 years of being on SSRIs, here it is. And I think a lot of the time, you don't, we don't know where it's coming from. And you'll just wake up one day and you're like, oh my God, like I told you this morning I was like all weekend I had horrible horrible anxiety and sometimes we wake up and we're like oh we don't know where it's coming from what's happening what's happening there could be a lot of different things that are coming up to play there and then you have to have a toolkit of resources to be able to manage that and why have why haven't our physicians put more funding and more care into that of creating a proper tool toolkit of things that we can use why is it just a quick pill not to mention, they don't know a lot of the time our doctors don't know our medical history from zero till now. So they're prescribing medications that they're not necessarily, like they don't know if this is suitable for you. Yeah, it's such a complex issue and something that we're both very interested in keeping up to date with, um, especially since like science and medicine changes all the time. And I remember a couple of months ago, this was literally like, as you were going through your withdrawal, that article came out that basically debunked as a 100% myth that people with depression have a chemical imbalance. And it's funny because I remember there's like more fringy doctors out there that have been talking about this for 20 years and saying, it's not a chemical imbalance. It's not, there's not, it's not something that's wrong with you. Um, It's not, it's just that was used in order to tell people that yes, there is something physically wrong with you and you need to medicate. And so now this study came out, I think it was in the British medical journal, but it's everywhere now. You can literally go on Google, which is a very censored search engine, but you can literally go on Google and say, you know, SSRIs, chemical imbalance, and it'll come up with a bunch of new studies that say that's actually not true. And so because the science is always changing, it's kind of like, I don't know. I truly feel like you have to get to a place where it's like you realize that you're on your own and taking that responsibility for yourself, not just saying, oh, I'm going to start taking more responsibility, but being like, no, I am not a victim. And we talked about this in January a bunch, getting out of victim consciousness and saying, no, I am responsible for what I'm doing here. This is my life. No one else is responsible for me. No one's going to save me. It's me. And like having that set in and be like, I don't know. 
I, I just think like when I was watching and I was, I thought I was really lucky to witness all of this, what was happening with you, because I thought it was very divine. Like <laughs> you've always had like a strong connection with your intuition, even though you were on SSRIs, you still felt your intuition. You still had a very strong connection with your morals and beliefs and what you think is right or wrong. And that's, you know, a huge reason as to where, why you are where you're at today. When you were like going through, um, let, well, let's, let's talk about like when you decided to go off them, what happened? Like, what did your doctor say? What did you think was going to happen? Oh man. When I decided to get off of SSRIs, well, it's a very interesting thing because today is February 13th. So last year at this time, it was two days last year at this time, February 13th was two days before my beloved 14 year old Pomeranian Charles said goodbye to the world and passed away in our arms. So that was the big thing. And that was like the deepest heartache that I'd probably felt ever, 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 ever. It was really, really hard. And it's coming up very soon. <laughs> but after that, <clears throat> I think I started to already realize that even the most like painful situations I could get through and I could get through without, if, if I could get through the loss of Charles and then in April, my mom passed away on April 23rd. And just a couple of weeks before that, um, she was diagnosed with throat cancer, which was a very quick and unexpected death. And it was absolutely fucking awful. And then a, a couple of weeks after that, on May 4th, our four-year-old Frenchie Frank passed away. Again, very quick, unexpected, and really awful. So in those few weeks, I sort of looked at my life and I looked at myself and I thought, okay, this is like the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Like, this is pretty bad. And if I could face this and actually survive this, this really, really deep, deep pain and heartache, then I don't believe, then what, am, what else am I willing to lose? And at that time, I was like, I guess I'm willing to lose myself and just like restart everything and think about my life and myself and everything I'm doing in a different way is, are these SSRIs something that I really need to be doing anymore? Because I feel like what, you know, we take this medication in a, like I said before, in a belief that it's almost like a protector of us, that it's going to protect me. It's going to do everything that I was not brave enough to do. Um, you just put so much importance and you just put so much faith <laughs> into this pill. <laughs> And then, so after everything happened, I sort of thought, you know what? I'm really willing to rip it all apart. So I talked to my doctor. I remember because it was what end of summer. It was end of summer. I remember I was at the beach and I I had a phone call with my doctor with my GP, who was um, who had taken me on as a brand new patient. She was my mom's GP, and because my mom passed away, she was able to carry over being my GP. She had extra space for a new a new patient. <clears throat> so I remember talking to her and I wasn't really sure how she was going to take this news because I was a brand new patient. And it's like, okay, Elena, what can I do for you? And I said, actually, I don't think you need to do anything for me. What I want you to do 
is help me get off of this stuff, get off of these SSRIs. And so then of course, because I was a new patient, I've had to sort of explain to her my history of how long I'd been on them. Why? And she said, are you sure? Like, this is a really crazy time for you to be getting off of them. And I said, yeah, no, I'm sure. Yeah, I know it's pretty crazy, but I'm willing to do it. (laughs) I'm willing to be crazy. So she was really, really supportive with me. And she said, you know what? No problem. Why don't we reduce? So the whole process of getting off of the pills was that you do have to downgrade the milligrams of the medication. So you're able to physiologically stabilize yourself. You can't just rip it all off or else, I don't know, I could have been somewhere in the dirt in my garden. Like I, I wouldn't be able to actually function. So then I, I followed that along and every month decreased by 25 milligrams, 25 milligrams. And she kept on saying, if you change your mind, we can go back. If you change your mind, we can just redo it. We'll just go back up by 25 milligrams and go back to your dose and checked in every month. And every month we would do a phone call. And I said, nope, I'm still here. I'm still feeling okay. Still definitely on this planet. Yep. Everything looks the same. <clears throat> yeah. I'm still here. I'm so grounded. And then when I finally get off my last, remember the last bit (laughs) when it was like, here's the last 25 milligrams you will ever take. And I had a lot of mixed emotions because I felt like there was a huge amount of loss, right? It's a big change in your life. And you do feel a sense of loss because it's, you are losing something. And then I sort of sat with it for a month or two, no, for a month, for a couple of weeks. And then we still continued with our cold swims then. And there were days that I would, by 2 p.m., I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so exhausted. I'm so tired. I'm having brain zaps. I'm having the spins. My eyes are blurry. My vision's blurry. My eyes can't focus on anything. I just want to close my eyes and go to bed and sleep this off. And that was the reality for the first, I don't know, for how long, for quite a while, where I was like, oh my God, am I dying? What are, what are brain zaps for people that don't know? Um, so brain zaps, the way that I can describe it to you is you feel like you have your brain is, you feel like you're being whacked in the head. Like I, I could be sitting here just talking to you and all of a sudden it feels like somebody took like a pick and stabbed it into my brain. And I'd be like, have like a shit. And this is, yeah. And this is a very common side effect of withdrawal. Yes. Well, it's, it's also your brain is adapting to like, I wouldn't say the loss of serotonin, but that's what an SSRI is. It's that replacement of serotonin that you're getting a high, higher dose every single day. So of course, when you're reducing that high dose, you're having to re your brain is having to make it on its own and rebalance. Yeah. So there's a lot there. So of course you would feel like absolute crap if you've discontinued taking a high dose of a chemical that's supposed to make you balanced out and feel good. So well, of course, and that's going to go through that, right? Well, and that's why it's so important. Like what you said, you have to do this with the supervision of reducing the dose over time. I like mm-hmm. my mom is a practitioner and she used to say to me, like some of her patients, it took about two years to get off of SSRIs because they had to reduce the dose so gradually because every time they did, they would get a whole host of symptoms. And it's like, like when I was witnessing your like kind of withdrawal, I was like, oh, I, I think she's doing really well. Like I was like, and I would tell my mom about like, you know, she's getting brain zapped. She kind of gets wobbly when she's out, she's tired and all that stuff. And my mom was like, well, like that's really good considering sometimes it's almost like heroin withdrawal for a lot of people where you'll shake and you'll shiver and you'll sweat all through the night. Not that that didn't happen to you, but yes, um, you're pretty. This is true. Do you think that this, 
Do you think that the side effects that you had and how you were kind of able to process them was due to the fact that A, you had spent a lot of time on your toolkit that you needed to help you recover and also your determination and your willpower? Yeah, I definitely do. I was pretty desperate. Like from the time, like I said, from the time of like last February to the time now, (laughs) I can't believe it's been 12 months. It's, It's kind of crazy to think about. Because I'm like, oh my God, where, what happened in the last like 12 months? I can't believe it's been 12 months of this. This is crazy, crazy. But yes, I was pretty desperate. I was doing anything I could. I was doing the saunas, the cold swims. The cold swims were really, really hard because there would be days where I was like, I don't want to be cold. I just want to be comfortable and I just want to be cozy and I want to be inside. Um, and then you and I did discontinue them this winter because it was oh, other host, host of nervous system regulation stuff was happening for. I think both of us were wanting to protect, wanted to protect our chi a little bit. So protect your life force a little bit, which is fine. And it's good to be able to, I think you, you are the only person that really knows what's good for you, what's suitable for you. And it's really good to be able to be aware of that and, and be in tune with that and be, have intuition around that. Like, is this something, am I going to be doing something right now, like doing a cold swim and then come out and not be able to warm up for hours and be in more pain and suffering. Am I capable of holding that space for myself right now? If the, if the answer is no, then there's nothing wrong with saying, no, I don't want to do that. Right. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had your breathing heart math. Um, I started seeing a new acupuncturist more recently, a new somatic body worker, which is like, uh, massage therapist. And so I think it's really important that if you can to build your own toolkit with, I mean, when you look around my house, it's pretty peaceful here. I like to do gardening. We have a community garden with Deanna and I spend a lot of time at collecting crystals, planting things, like whatever it is for you. I do pottery now, which was a huge gift. I think out of all of it, the pottery was my thing. Like I don't want to say it saved me. I think I saved me, but the pottery was a great outlet to be able to create. We're all creative beings right here on this earth to create. And that was just a really good way for for me to refocus um, some of the stuff that I was going through. And you know what? One can even argue that if I was on SSRIs, maybe I wouldn't have done pottery. Maybe I wouldn't have even seen that this is something that I was like led to, to continue doing. One of the biggest things that I noticed when I was on SSRIs was I had a really hard time focusing on on one thing. Um, I felt that I was like, almost like ADHD all the time that I had a hard time keeping up with one thing. Right. I always had a hard time, like finishing a project and with the pottery, I feel like I can actually finish these little projects, create something, bring it home, marvel at it, give it away as a gift. Like that's a full, full circle for me. So the, I mean, you could read textbooks on this and everybody's going to have a different experience. And of course, the medical journals are going to be able to come up with all sorts of other data. But I always, always have believed that the way we learn the best is through experience ourselves, our own personal experience, our own personal learning. It's very different than learning, reading something in a textbook. Had I known that SSRIs would have led me down this journey for this many years, who knows if I would have ever even started taking them, right? We don't know any of that stuff. But um, I think the biggest thing is like, you you know, like you kind of, you get to a point where you decide for yourself where you're like, okay, this life is full of seasons. This season has ran its course. I don't believe that they align with me anymore. 
Um, I do believe that there are so many more powerful medicines out there besides just medication and drugs. Um, I do believe medicine can save lives. Sure. If I'm bleeding out from a bad cut, I will go to the hospital. Yeah, sure. I believe that. But I do believe that we've been given uh, on this earth, we've been given a lot of other plants. We've been given a lot of other tools um, that we can utilize to heal ourselves. That it, this is not, I think the biggest thing here is that this is not the only option. And when I started taking SSRIs, I felt like that was the only option. Yeah. And because like, I think there's a certain level of overwhelm that comes with that too. And when you're in an overwhelmed state where you're like, I, I'm overwhelmed, you can't think properly, right? Like you were saying fight or flight. I remember that post that, that was posted about SSRIs and antidepressants on the private group. And I remember there were a lot of women that were like, oh, um, I have to be on them or I need them. And they helped me. What would be your advice to someone who is considering going on them right now? Like, like, let's just say someone's listening that is like, okay, I think I'm going to start taking them because I feel like that's my only option. What would you say to someone like that? Um, I would say do your research and know what you're getting yourself into. I think at first my inclination at the very beginning when you said this was, was to be like, yeah, you should go for it. You should go experience. You should go see what it's like. Um, I think you should realize also how very difficult that is to get off of them for all sorts of reasons, not even just for the fact that there are actual addictive physiological symptoms, but because your brain will will make it so that it's like, this is so, this is your saving grace. This is what you need. And you'll be, you'll begin to believe it, right? You'll begin to believe that this is what you actually need. You have to take this every day. You have to take it every time you have um, any sort of panic that this will save you, that this will do it for you. Whereas like, okay, you're feeling a bit of panic. Why not sit in a quiet room and do some deep breathing exercises? Why not reconnect yourself? Why not try something else first instead of just popping a pill? I don't know. It's different for everybody to each their own. But from my perspective, I would say that nothing would have prepared me for the symptoms of getting off of SSRIs except for experiencing it. I was like, oh my God, this is like the worst hanger war I've ever had times 20. This is like the symptoms of it were, were pretty serious. And I don't think I, I don't, I don't think I really like even expressed it that much to the people around me of like how hard it was. And it still is. It still is really hard. Like I said, this weekend, I had panic all weekend. Today, I get very emotional now because, you know, little situations, not little situations, but like situations of like talking about my mom or Charles or Frank um, can drop a lot of emotions for me. But the typical me would always say, okay, don't go there. Too painful. Don't go there. Just do this or do that or take that or eat that or have a a glass of wine here or grab your pills or do whatever. Don't process too painful. Don't go there. But I think now I'm forced to look at everything. So if you are in a position where you're able to feel all all of the feelings, there's some really hard ones, some hard, some, you know, tough emotions that will come up. If you're in a position that where you're capable of doing that, then do yourself a favor, I would say, and feel that because it'll get you further than taking a pill. And you had mentioned earlier that like when you got off of them, you felt like you were feeling everything that you hadn't felt for those 15 years. I think there's something to be said there because (laughs) I mean, 
like, and you're the perfect person to talk about this. And this is why I think this is such a powerful episode because you have all the childhood trauma. Like you have it. You were ripped away from your home. (laughs) You were adopted. And then you're, you know, and it's just, it's everything you could possibly put in one box of childhood trauma you have. Right. Um, And so coming from a place of like, you're still okay is so powerful. But let's go back to when you said that, like when you went off them, it was like a flood and, and like, it still is a flood for you where it's just like, you're still trying to build up that resilience to these, to feeling what you're actually feeling. Right. But like, mm-hmm. I, I think that's almost a reason, like, and not that we're trying to convince everybody to not go on no. them. That's not what this podcast is about. God, no. this, pod, this podcast <laughs> is about Elena's story and what she feels, but I would say like for me personally and my personality, like having someone say to me, okay, you can go on them, but you're going to have to feel it all afterwards anyways. So (laughs) yeah. Yes. It's basically like, okay, this is not the best example, but, and I've experienced this myself many, many times. This is why I'm going to give you this example. It's like having a really shit day and then thinking I'm going to have some wine and then you end up having way too much wine. And then you wake up in the morning and now you're feeling the hangover of the wine, plus all the stuff that you are feeling shitty about in the first place. Right. So it's, it's a very similar feeling to having to process, except for the hangover of the pills, you won't feel right away. You'll feel them when you're trying to get off the pills. You'll feel them almost like a pill hangover, SSRI hangover for the next few months. And it will last a lot longer. And it'll be worse than a hangover. That, from my experience, that is how I felt. And yeah, so the last like, what, 13, 15 years of being on them, now I have to look at everything that I've missed along the way in terms of like learning, learning experiences, learning situations, opportunities that I could have taken and really felt everything through and then grown and learned from that. Now it's like when things happen, I'm like, oh, why is that happening? I'm not familiar with this. What's happening here? And then I have to resort it all out. And be like, oh yeah, you missed those opportunities. So congratulations. You get to do it again. <laughs> you get to relearn everything. And like relearning everything from the place you're at now, which is like mm-hmm. that's I don't know. I feel like it's like a re definite like a rebirth, like a rediscovery of the world around you. I remember about a month or two into your um when you were off of them, you were saying like, I feel like I'm seeing everything differently for the first time. Like I'm feeling like it's like fresh eyes, seeing things in the way that it actually is. Yeah, for sure. And it's like the brain fog for, and I think for the first while for anybody who's going through tremendous change, like emotional, psychological change for the first while you are unable to see anything outside of yourself because you are in survival mode and you are in a place you're like, I just want to feel better. I just want to feel better that you're unable to necessarily be able to like support other friends or family through what they're going through or situations or if something uncomfortable comes up. Maybe you have more of an inclination to retreat and be like, I don't want to go there. I can't deal with this. I get that. I definitely get that. I definitely felt that way after getting off of my SSRIs where I was like, nope, can't, won't, can't deal with your problems right now. Can't be in confrontation. Can't be in anything. I'm just going to say, I can't do this. I got to go. Right. And it's because I, I do understand that when you're in your own sort of like suffering, that's all you can think about when you're like, let's like having like a migraine, let's say you wake up and you have a migraine and you're like, I need to like close the blinds, lie in this dark room. And I just need to 
go to sleep and try to feel better. When I wake up, I hope I can feel better. I hope I don't have this throbbing cluster migraine or whatever it is. It's similar where you're unable to think of what's happening outside the door after you close the door, right? You're, you're not able to even like process anything else because you're so deeply in it, especially when it comes to brain things, when you've got brain stuff going on, which is like the whole circuit board of like you, what else do you do? Yeah. When you were going through like the brain zaps and the brain fog and like the, all these wild racing thoughts and all that stuff, do you find it easier now that you're off your SSIs, SSRIs to become more of an observer and take a step back and observe what's happening versus becoming? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I think that one of the biggest things that I'm trying to consistently work on every day and it's hard and I'm not perfect at it. And there's many days that I completely fail, but it's just seeing a stressful situation and just taking a step back and be like, okay, but why is that stressful? And who's that stressful to? And is it really even stressful? What does that even mean? And it's hard. It's like a training that I, I can't wait until I've mastered it. <laughs> the forever training of life, of your life, right? To be able to take a step back and like be the observer, not be the reactor. No, there's a lot of, t- I've noticed myself that there will be situations where I'm like, okay, like, this is what it is. I don't want to, I don't want to get into anything about, you know, I don't want to get into confrontations about this. It just, and if you don't see it that way, I would definitely more quicker to just walk away instead of being like, Oh yeah, I'm going to fight about, I'm going to fight for my rights here. I'm going to fight for my perspective. Now I'm just like, okay, fine. Yeah. That's really interesting. And also really cool because like you said, it's like for people that are like constantly seeking to be better than they were the day before, or constantly seeking to kind of align with like why you're here on this earth, what is your mission? It's so important to have that like objective stance where it's like you can not disconnect, but you can observe yourself instead of becoming yourself. That's like, I mean, that's the gold standard for anyone who's who practices yoga or spirituality or any sort of therapy where they want to get ahead is like, you'll have these things happen to you where it's like you're overwhelmed, but you don't need to become the overwhelmed. You don't need to like jump in and say, Oh, this is who I am. And then like, Yeah. Yeah. No, sorry. I think the biggest thing there that what you're saying is that we have choice. And I think sometimes we forget that. Yeah. And we, and we like totally, totally. And like, what is really a choice? Like sometimes you get yourself in these situations where you're medicated or you have trauma happening to you or someone does something to you and you feel like you don't have a choice and you feel like you're victimized by it. And like, I personally think the strongest people on earth are the ones that can say, I'm not a victim to whatever has happened or whatever is happening to me. I can make choices in alignment with what I think, where I think I should be going and then respect that. Like, that's just, for me, that is like the most, I don't know, wise, the the, the most wise people that I've ever met, including you, are able to like get to a place where they can like, wow, I've been there. I know what it's like to react. I know what it's like to operate from a standpoint of like, kind of like numb and I'm choosing to not do that anymore. And I'm choosing to jump head first. I remember when you were first getting off of them 
and when you're, when everything happened to you where your mom died and like I was with you and Frank was dying and it was horrible. But I remember you saying after that, I feel like there's nothing really to fear because I've experienced it all and I'm still here. Like we always joke around in our texts, like where, mm-hmm. you know, you've been through it. I've been through it where we all think that there's a monster behind the door waiting to kill us. <laughs> and it's just yeah. not true. Yeah. I, yeah, definitely. And that is like the biggest, like just shake up and thought and, in, in, in personal thought in general is just, realizing that the biggest fears that we have they're not real and like I don't want to like discount anybody who's like what do you mean my fears are are totally real like they're my fears yes they're they're valid because they're yours but it doesn't make them real and I think that (laughs) that was the biggest piece that I've learned in the last 12 months is that it's always the things that we like our minds start to like spin with and like spiral with that if you don't regroup, reground yourself, that that can take you onto like a totally different planet. And then you become so fearful, like you said, and then you're afraid to look under your bed and it's like, but it's not real. Everybody knows there's no monsters under your bed, right? Or are there? And then you sort of like, <laughs> then you sort of freak yourself out. But yeah, that was the biggest thing for sure. I think once you, once it's all ripped away, the bandage, the bandage is ripped off. You can't go back. Yeah. It's not going to be, the bandage won't be sticky again. You have to get a new one. And do you want to do that? Or do you want to just like look at the boo-boo? So that's kind of like, it's up to you. What do you want to do? And, and I would never, ever, if anybody ever wanted to go on, on medication, I would never say don't. I think it's a personal personal journey. I think it's a valid journey. I think that yes, medications have been helpful and useful um, for a long time to lots of people. But I think that it's also really important to keep in mind that no matter what you do, you will always have to undo it. So no matter how many cocktails you have, the hangover will come. You will have to undo it. It doesn't matter how many pills you'll take. You can't take them forever. You'll have to undo it. At least I hope you try to undo it. Um, But there'll always be an end to whatever it is you're doing. And how long are you willing to sit in that? How long are you willing to sit in your shit? And then you sort of have to take your own, you have to, you have to take your own advice and you do have to be your own savior. No matter how many professionals there are out there, no matter how many amazing therapists there are out there. They're not your savior. Only you can do that for yourself. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned. That's really, that's so like, I don't know. I just, I have being able to like watch you do this and like experience like what you're going through and like firsthand seeing what's happening with you. I mean, I feel really lucky and I feel even luckier that we're in a position where we can tell this story, not just tell it, but but tell it from your perspective and that you're open to doing that because I think this is going to help a lot, a lot of people. Um, I, I will ask one more question though. I, th- I was wondering what you thought about, like, let's say someone is at the place in their life where they want to get off their pills and they want to do what you have done and they want to get their life back in whatever way they're being called to get it back by getting off their pills. 
what would you recommend? Let's just say they don't have any tools and they're kind of searching for the first step. Um, well, that would be my my big biggest piece of advice is get a little toolkit and start to fill it up with whatever it is that you like to do, things that you love, things that you like to do, get to know yourself. I don't I think that you can't really make decisions like that unless you really know yourself and for me, I just started doing things that I was like, that sounds like a good idea. That sounds like a cool idea. I'm willing to try it. I'm willing to try something new. Like I, like I said, the cold swims for us was like a huge, huge help because your mind is racing. You're spiraling a little bit. Some days I wouldn't be able to make it to the beach. I'd be like falling over in the sand. Remember <laughs> we would show up to the beach and I'd be like, where is the water? I can't see. And like falling into the water, <laughs> into the water and just floating around and like waiting for that time to like reconnect our brains. Cause you have no choice. The water is cold. Your body wants to breathe through it. You have no choice, but to be like, okay. And even if you go with multiple people to do cold swims, it's a very personal experience you're like, can I do this? And then you start to like fight your like racing thoughts about like, this is dangerous. Get out, get out. Um, and you have to be able to, you have to be able to gauge whether or not this is a safe thing for you to do and whether your thoughts are rational. So whatever it is that you love to do, I would say do it. Like for some people, they really love to like cook or eat or, or go for walks or be in nature or spend time with their dog or with their friends or with their partner, or they like to do art or they like to go to the bookstore or they like to do pottery or whatever it is. It's like, try to figure out what it is that you can be in flow, like the flow energy in and try to collect as many of those experiences of things that you could do for yourself by yourself um, because you'll get to know yourself, but you'll also kind of step out of that caregiver. This is my only identity mentality, which can be really, really tricky. Um, especially when you're trying to figure out your own needs and all your identity is as a wag of SEI or is just a caregiver or somebody who just fills in for caregiving shifts right? Like try to get yourself out of that a little bit by trying to figure out what it is that brings you joy. Um, because that will be a way for you to build your toolkit. And that's what we mean by toolkit, like gather things that you love to do for yourself. And you won't be able to learn those from other people. You have to do it on your own. So it's a great practice in itself to be able to figure out you're like, what is it that I like? And I think for me, that was a big part of getting off of SSRIs. I'm like, whoa, who the hell am I? Like, where have I been? What is it that I like? Do I even like that? Do I even want to do that? I don't even know, right? So then you try things, you're like, oh, this feels good or this doesn't, or maybe I'm not interested in this or whatever whatever it is you, you gather, you harness that information and then you just do it and do it and do it until it becomes like a habit and you're able to reassess your own needs. That's huge. And like, you know, for people that don't know why joy is so important or finding joy, following joy. Um, I think in psychology and a lot of spiritual practices, they tell you that because it's been proven that when you are in a state of joy or passion, you are, and when it's real, when it's real in your body, not just something that's fake, like a substance or what a, a drug, if when it's real and you are finding joy your body works its most efficiently 
it has been proven time and time again. Um, and this isn't just woo woo stuff. This is real. Um, your cells function at their best when you are in a state of joy. And so that's why it's so important to follow that state of joy because when it's a very, like you said earlier, it's a very physical, physiological process getting off something like this, but also getting out of a state of depression, right? Because it is possible. I mean, you've proven that. So many people have proven that. Um, It's just, you have to get yourself out and you have to continue following that little spark that says, find your joy, find your joy. And working through whatever your body needs to go through on that, on the way, because it's like you said, it's not a, it's not a pretty process, but regardless of like what you're doing, follow what you like. Like I, that's, you've inspired, you inspire me so much to do that and to continue to do that. Cause even if like you want to get off your pills, but you just don't think you can do it yet. It's such a good thing to do, to follow your joy, right? You don't want to spend your life not doing things that you want to do or not finding out what you even like to do. And I think it's very common for all caregivers of people with SCI to go through a stage where they're like, well, who am I really? What do Mm -hmm. I like to do? Like, and to follow that, even if you're not wanting to get off something is so important. And it's like, it will build the foundation that you need to get inspiration, to take your next step, because your next step will only come from inspiration. You can't find your next step when you're in fight or flight, right? Yeah, it absolutely. It won't be shown to you. Well, and also like if we're connecting this back to like, you know, a wag of SEI and being somebody who cares for their partner or for their parents or their children or whoever, um, there will always be a time when other people will need you. And that's, I think, a big one for me is like, and are you going to be able to be able to give that to them? Because if you can't take care of yourself, if you can't truly take care of yourself, you can't really take care of anybody else. You can't give anything to anybody else. You can pretend to give, you can try to mask it like, oh yeah, I can be there for you. But can you really, is it, is it long-term sustainable? And is it something that you're even really wanting to do? And I think that once you like get to know yourself and you are operating in a state of joy or at least some peace, then it becomes more authentic. And other people know that. They know when you're being real or when it's like they're pulling at your strings and they're like, oh, I feel bad. And it's like, why would you want to operate from, from that existence of fake it or make it? I mean, you know, especially as a caregiver, it's like it, it's already can be it can be demanding enough for. Yeah. For a lot of women in our group and that's why so many women chimed in on that post saying yeah i needed to get on value more i needed this or i needed that so we just sort of i think the whole purpose of this podcast is also just to give people a different perspective right now our world is still like very much in like a uh term of like chaos and everybody's sort of trying to grab at whatever they can to make themselves feel better but I'd love to hear more conversations of women who are taking on different practices and trying other therapies besides just taking pills. So if you are that person, right into Wags of SEI. We are always round on wagsofsei at gmail.com and uh, on our Instagram, Wags of SEI. And, uh, you know, this is not, there's not one cookie cutter mold for healing. 
And we're always very interested to hear how other women come to the Wags of SEI page with their own feedback, with their own resources, so we can continue to help more women, many other women after us. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, this episode has been one of my favorites. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. Like I feel like we're so lucky to have this perspective in our community and yeah, like Elena said, if anyone, um, needs some help or support around this topic, please email us anytime. We're always around. You can also DM us or find us on the private group and yeah share your stories with us we love to hear it we we hope that we touched at least one person today and i know elena's touched many 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 people through her own personal work so thank you elena for sharing and thank you everybody who tuned in today and who is opening their minds with us and who is on this journey with us and we hope you're doing okay and we're sending you love and we are looking forward to our next episode so tune in next time cheers Thank you.